You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to Season 8 of Turning to the Mystics, where we're turning to the 13th century German mystic, Mechteld of Magdeburg. And I'm here with Jim. Welcome, Jim. Yes, yes. Welcome. Glad to be with each other again. And we're here to talk about your first session on Mechteld's book, The Flowing Light of the Godhead. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to start where you ended your first talk, which is saying that you can't read Mechtilde for content or explanation. It's so dense with a love language that has no conceptual content. But if we sit with each, each thing she says in a receptive openness of love, we can begin to get reverberations of this loving union that is stirring within us. And you said that this love language is the dowry of our being. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yes, um, the dowry of our being. It's that um, <clears throat> one way to say it is that we say that God is love, that the infinite love of God in an ongoing self donating act is creating us in the image and likeness of love as our very identity, our very destiny. And so the infinite love of God is our origin. The infinite love of God is our sustaining ground. It is our ultimate identity, and it is our fulfillment. This is love. And so it's in some sense a God-given, like the very ontology of ourself, the very living substance of ourself is love. And uh, so in that sense, it's the dowry of our being. It's, uh, yeah. And how do you create that kind of open receptivity to love that you described? First of all, I think each one of us uh, creates it or responds to it. At the psychological level, in responding as children to our parents' love for us. And uh, in our parents' love for us, then we respond with love. And we, when we respond with love, we see that it delights them. And so we, we also learn that in the family growing up, that it's, it's love that makes the house a home. It's love that makes the house safe. It's love that makes, that a life rich with love is rich with meaning, rich with fulfillment. It's tricky because sometimes we're not so fortunate to be in a house where love is, is the underlying pervasive reality and it's intermingled with the trails of love. So we're all trying to deal with and sort that out. But with God, there's this infinite love, infinitely giving itself to us. And we then experience that in our faith. Experience in our faith is the contemplative understanding of the scriptures of Jesus and everything. And again, it's, a, it's an act of conversion because sometimes if we carry the betrayals of love inside of us, it's hard to take in the love of God. Yeah. It's hard, there's like a part of us doesn't believe it or part of us is. So there's this intermingling then of psychological healing of love wounds and the way in which as those are healed, the love of God aids us in that healing. We can grow and emerge into a more stabilized love, a discipleship. 
of discipleship of the, of, of the, of the Lord. So that, uh, and then with Mictel, what we have with Mictel is that she, she reaches such a purity of love, it becomes mystical. It's mystical, that is, it's, it's the intermingling of uh, God's love with our very being as the beloved of God. So as we read her, insofar as we're moved by what she says, it bears witness of the capacities for these mystical energies of love to grow in us as we turn to her for guidance and helping us to stabilize it and then to live by it and share it with others. And Jim, do you think it helps to kind of slow down to find that more openness, to, to the, the, the opening to what she's saying or what she's revealing? I would say my sense of it in the broad sense first is that uh, every time we're graced with a moment of love, say a child from their parent or the friend or the beloved, whatever, when we experience that we're in the presence of some of love, it slows us down. Uh. That as we become present to uh, this love that we experience flowing from the presence of the friend, the spouse, the lover, and so on, and we internalize it. Then at a secondary level, we see this is the daily rendezvous with God or the quiet time. We get carried along by the momentum of the day's demands. We see it's important to choose to slow down, to be present to this love that's always there, the rendezvous with God, which is the the practice of meditation and prayer. So we are slowed down, we're paused with this love thing that's always there. We internalize it, and then we see that we have kind of a precarious uh, oneness with the love, even though it's always there breath by breath, heartbeat by heartbeat. And therefore we, we cultivate this desire through daily prayer and meditation to habituate that. And so little by little, but we habituate in the quiet time with God or the quiet time reading Mictel or listening to Mictel in session, uh, then little by little that soaks into us and starts showing up throughout the day. This, this atmospheric love starts influencing every moment of our life over the course of our life, like maturing in love. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to turn to the book, uh, The Flowing Light of the Godhead, and there's a little section above the section that you read, and um, I wondered if we could read it together. It's another little dialogue between uh, Mechtilde and God, and uh, I think you're more qualified to be God. Well, uh, this is what this way. For the sake of, uh, I could put it up like a play. Like a play. Like yeah. act on a play. It's like a play. Yeah. It is it's kind of like a play. Really, you could see her book that way. So in that case, you would start because you're going to start talking to me, God. Yeah. And you're going to, so then I'll respond. Okay, great. Okay, okay good. Uh, so, our Lord God, who made this book? I made it in my powerlessness, for I cannot refrain myself as to my gifts. Well then, Lord. What shall the title of the book be, which is to your glory alone? It shall be called A Flowing Light of My Godhead into all hearts that live free of hypocrisy. I wonder if you could comment on that. I mean, this is my sense of it. It's, first of all, a lot of this book was written in deep prayer, like ecstatic prayer. So it was just very love exchange in prayer. Like the later mansions of Teresa, John, all these mystics this way. 
And, um, and there's also something else, that when words flow out of the awakened heart, the person who's in the flow of God's voice, they sense that God's speaking through them. And in a sense, as they write it out like a faithful scribe, mm-hmm. it's, it's this whole sense of inspiration. So she's saying, in effect, oh, who made this book? She knows she didn't make it. That it was, it was too much for her. She could have never come up with this. And so God reassures her, and she's letting us in on what God's telling her, which she knows is God says that, that God made it. So not in the sense of Scripture, or the Scripture of God, but in the sense where God truly does speak to transformed hearts. Mm. And, and speaks. And I think, put it in a broader way, too. Sometimes if there's a friend who's suffering a lot, and you say something out of your love for them that helps them, and you don't know how the, you know how to say mm-hmm. that, yeah. you would say, God gave it to you to say that. So I think it's in that broad sense. See, it's, it's God the one who wrote this out, and she's just writing it out and sharing it with us so we can listen in on their loving exchange and join in yeah. this way. How amazing to live and write day by day in that sense of where's that coming yeah. from? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And also when she, he says, in my powerlessness, it's going to be a theme in the whole book, God freely chooses to be powerless, mm. not to completely give God away to us as our very reality as the beloved and our nothingness without God. Meister Eckhart said, when we were looking at Eckhart, he said, God must do it. Mm. So God freely chooses in this powerlessness. And so he cannot refrain his gifts. And the gift is, is God. I cannot refrain from giving the gift of myself see, to the beloved, which is her, which is us. I wondered about this last little bit. Um, uh, it shall be called a flowing light of my Godhead into all the hearts that live free of hypocrisy. Yes. You know, there's something else later we're going to be looking at the Meister Eckhart and the Beguines are together mm-hmm. like this. And we'll see later, too, that uh, it was a Dominican priest who was her confessor and so on. And, of course, for Meister Eckhart, you'll remember the Godhead. Yes, yes. It's the infinity of God beyond the Trinity, beyond the God. So the flowing light of the Godhead, you see that influence of the abyss of God beyond all distinctions, beyond all distinctions. So, but it's a flowing light of the Godhead. That's very nice. Yeah. It's like a, it's like the flow, and it's very close to the Tao and the Tao Te Ching, like this flowing Tao, this flowing divinity that courses through all of reality, uh, this divinity of this. And Jim, could you comment on this idea that it flows into the hearts of those that live free of hypocrisy? You know, we were looking at the cloud of unknowing some time back. And it's interesting when the author of The Cloud of Unknowing starts out the book, he talks about this uh, awakening of this deep love, this influx of God. And this whole book, he said, is going to be written off for guidance and how to surrender to that. And then he says, as for busybodies and the hypocritical, I would just assume they never laid eyes on this book. I had no intention of writing for them. And he kind of implies there are authors who write for hypocrites and busybodies. But this is not this is not for people in a hurry. This is not for people. So it isn't that we aren't in our own way hypocritical. Sometimes we mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. But in our heart, Merton says, with God, a little sincerity goes a long, long way. Mm. So I'm I'm really writing for those who step forward beyond hypocrisy to risk acknowledging the vulnerability of the sincerity mm. of seeking to be close to God 
And that sincerity, they realize, is given by God to them to sincerely want to be close to God. And so, it's, and that includes us. Insofar as we're moved by this or touched by this, and all these mystics and bears witness, you know, that this pertains to us. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. It's such a gift how uh, we've just done Eckhart and then to feel the connection between Eckhart and Mechtilde. She yeah. was a student of his. She she was close to him. And uh, that flowing light of the Godhead, um, just beautiful to feel that connection, having travelled through Eckhart and now beginning on our journey with Mechtilde. And we were looking at this closer later on as we go through this series with her. Is that, But what's striking is how different they are and that she's an ecstatic mystic. There's no ecstatic in Eckhart. So we're going to see the ways in which they're different this way. See, for Eckhart, it's the path of knowing that transcends all conceptual knowing, which is infused with love. And for her, it's a love beyond all feelings of love, beyond all consolations of love, which grants a deep knowing. So, so the primacy of love and the primacy of knowing, at one level, the language is very different. But when one is there, the other is always present also. And it's a matter of how God calls us, like, you know, how we're led. And it can go back and forth throughout our life. Sometimes we are more in this ecstatic kind of devotional love energy. And sometimes we're in this deep God knowledge beyond concepts of God. And they, they're always intermingled with each other. But it is interesting to see how they meet in the middle using very different modalities of divine union. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen a conversation between Eckhart and McTilde? Yeah. <laughs> I would. I like to have lunch with McTilde. Yeah. Uh, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> All these people. Nice to be with them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought it would be fun and maybe helpful for us to read through the whole dialogue in that same way that we, we just read that little bit about the uh, title of the book. Before we start that, I did want to just ask you about the the, the names that are being used. So this uh, Lady Love and then Mistress and Queen. Yes. Uh, let's clarify that. See, when she says to Lady Love, God greet you, Lady Love. And therefore, she's making a distinction between God and Lady Love. Mm-hmm. So how are we to understand Lady Love, and the way I understand it, I think her sense too, is that there's God, the sovereignty of God. God is Trinity, God is infinite, God is creator, God is unknowable, God's ineffable, all that. And God's also ineffable love, God is love. So Lady Love is the love of God that, that greets us and meets us at our level and accesses us uh, Julianne of Norwich were with familiarity. Mm. So it's, it's almost uh, uh, God meets us in the sincerity of our desire and merges with us there in a loving exchange back and forth and so on. And so that's, that's, that's lady love. And also, although God is, gender doesn't apply to God mm-hmm. because God's need, all these categories of being, even being a self doesn't apply to God. But also, though, uh, 
uh, since God is neither male nor female, but God's the creator of the masculine, the creator of the feminine. Therefore, God's the infinity of the masculine. God's the infinity of the feminine. And so, but the church, by all of culture, scripture itself is so patriarchal in its, in its influence. We're so used to he, 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 even though we know the teaching is that God's neither male nor female, yet infinitely both. Um, so it's delightful to hear this feminine yeah. language of this tenderness of God's love coming to us as lady love. And, God. and so he, he's speaking to her then as mistress and queen, like my mistress, my, my helpmate, my paramour, my lover, my beloved, my, and queen of heaven. You know, I make you, uh, you know, there's an old song uh, years, years ago. It said, uh, the guy sings to the woman, uh, if I were king, dilly dilly, you would be my queen. And she says to him, who told you so, dilly dilly, who told you so? And he answers back, I told me so, dilly dilly, I told me so. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> so you're, in my eyes, you're queen, mm. God says. So you're, you're, you're king. So we're, we're endowed with this royalty, divine royalty in God's eyes. So we meet in the familiarity of our ordinariness, but an ordinariness is infused by God giving us this divine stature in grace, in our ordinariness. That's the subtlety of it, I think. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, well, Jim, let's, let's read it together. So this is how love and the queen spoke to each other. Yeah, yes, and again, as a clarification, uh, in the book, is, each book, seven books, is divided into sections. And the sections are numbered. So this is just one section. So we're just, cho we're just choosing one section and then slowing it way down to see how rich every phrase is. And the, but the whole book is like mm. this. So this is like getting into the richness of McTell's language, love language, like this. So we'll go back and forth between God and the soul. Good. Lovely. The soul came to love, greeted her with great deference, and said, God greet you, lady love. May God reward you, mistress and queen. Lady love, you are indeed perfect. Mistress and queen, that is why I am above all things. Lady love, you struggled many a year before you forced the exalted trinity to pour itself utterly into the humble virginal womb of Mary. Mistress and queen, that was to your honor and benefit. Lady love, you have now come here to me and have taken from me everything I ever gained on earth. Mistress and queen, you have made a happy exchange. Lady love, you have taken from me my childhood. Mistress and queen, in its place I have given you heavenly freedom. Lady love, you have taken from me all my youth. Mistress and queen, in its place I have given you many a holy virtue. Lady love, you have taken from me possessions, friends, and relatives. Come now, mistress and queen, that's a petty complaint. Lady love, you have taken from me the world, worldly honour, and all earthly riches. Mistress and queen, I shall make that up to you in one hour with the Holy Spirit on earth, just as you wish it. Lady love, you have brought me to such a pass that my body is racked by a strange weakness. Mistress and queen, in exchange, 
I have given you much sublime knowledge. Lady love, you have devoured my flesh and my blood. Mistress and queen, you have thereby been purified and drawn into God. Lady love, you are a robber. For this as well shall you make reparation. Mistress and queen, then take me. Lady love, now you have recompensed me a hundredfold on earth. Mistress and queen, in addition, you may demand God and all his kingdom. And scene. And <laughs> scene, exactly, and scene, yeah. Oh, well, thanks for doing that, Jim. That was yes. fun for me. So the couplets are amazing and they seem very deliberate in, in what's coupled together. Do you, do you feel that when you read it? I really do. It's so it's the commentary on her at the beginning of the preface of the book. Uh, she's very, she, from a literary point of view, she's very gifted. Mm. She's a very gifted writer, and it gives that kind of a poetic precision to what she says. You don't feel she's fumbling for the words mm. like this, and um, so uh, she has that graced gift put these words, which are words that she interiorly heard in her heart mm. from God, and she's translating it for, to share with us. Yeah. And she wasn't theologically educated, so can you help us connect her experience to the scripture and, and being brought up Catholic to, to what she's sharing? Yes, well, they surmise that by the, the, of her language that she was from the upper classes in the sense that she had there was a, 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 there's an educational foundation to what she says. And not in the sense, because she was a woman in the beginning, not in the sense of, say, Eckhart is a theologian. It wasn't like that. But uh, she did have exposure to kind of a cultured sense and a reflective sense of a scripture and the tradition and, and so on. She kind of shows that with the quality of her mind and how she expresses herself. So... Starting with the second couplet, Lady love, you are indeed perfect, mistress and queen, that is why I'm above all things. And when you defined things, you said any aspect of our experience of ourselves in finite consciousness, you talked about our health, our intimacy needs, how we feel about ourselves. And I was struck by that because often when, when I think of things, I think of things external to myself. Like Yeah. 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 And so I wondered... Yes. Yeah. Let's say well, it's certainly that also. Okay. So things are really at this table is a thing. Yeah. And my pots and pans in the kitchen are things. <laughs> yeah. And, and all, all that's true. Those things are things. Mm -hmm. But in the broadest sense, a thing is anything created. God's uncreated and, and pouring itself out as a reality of all things. And it's nothingness without God. So things, therefore, refers to, to so what's created then is also these, these intimate variables of our existence. See, so I could say um, our intimacy needs or lack thereof. See, because these things are also in conditioned states. Mm -hmm. They vary in conditions. They can rise and fall like more or less. And so the sum total of these fluctuating patterns of these created aspects of our things and our passage through time, uh, that God's love is above all those things. It's also the source of all mm, those things mm -hmm. and also the reality of all those things and their nothingness without God. But the point is that what God is saying to her, what love is saying to her, but because this love, this infinite love given to you is infinite, if you're going to settle 
for these created things that are finite and therefore infinitely less than me, infinitely less than us, is if you can gather around you these things or these aspects of yourself and try to keep them or hold them, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're in this cul-de-sac mm. of uh, what's infinitely less than what alone will fulfill you, which is this love. Because I created you in the image and likeness of my love. Mm. And therefore, I'm above all things. There's no disrespect for the thing at all. As a matter of fact, it's to see God's present in them. But it's to see that really, that the sum total of all of them together is not enough to put to rest the longings of our heart. Because uh, this infinite love alone is enough. Mm. Oh, that's helpful. So in a way, uh, God's above all things that we might identify with in the finite, in our finite existence, yeah. Yeah. internal or external, whether we're, we're identified with what we own or whether we're identified with a particular feeling or... I would put it this way too, because we all do this. I mean, we're all trying to grow out of it. Is, um, is that things refer to anything we're capable of attaining or losing mm. is the thing. See, because we can't attain God's love because we already have it. We already are its manifestation and we can't lose it because God will never take it away. But anything we're capable, and then there's the self, the haver, yeah. that has and holds and loses. And so when we're functioning at that level, we can tell we're always trying to uh, manage things and cope and get like this. In a certain way, that's important in life. We have to attend the store. But when it becomes a be-all and end-all and eclipses this love, this infinitely greater and shines out through these things. So that's this kind of delicate love sensitivity, I think, that the mystics are calling, and Jesus is calling us to the scriptures, yeah. That's really helpful. You said something I wanted to repeat because it felt so helpful when I listened to the session. You said, the infinite love of God gives itself fully to us and we live in incremental realizations of this love. The limitations are our limitations. Yes, this is, I think it's understanding all these mystics. See, because when you hear the way she talks, and all the mystics, you might go, wow, I don't think I've ever experienced like that. Mm -hmm. And and tell you the truth, I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> I mean, it's just so lofty. Like, what was this, what was this person? And there's some truth to that. There's positive, there could be truth to that. It's given to whom it's given. But really, you move in closer is just like I say, you know, in the Tao Te Ching, it says the Tao, the, the flowing divinity coursing through all things, the Tao, is that the Tao, Tao, Lao Tzu says, is like water. It seeks the lowest places to give life to all that lives. So this infinite love of God is infinitely giving the infinity of itself away in non-incremental infinity to the very lowest things of all. So even the slightest little first stirrings of God's presence in our life is the first stirrings of this infinite love given to us as the first stirring. So the limitations are not on God's side at all because it's, it's infinite in all directions. The limitations are in us, but that's where God meets us. God always meets us where we are. And that's why I use the example that small children are so limited. But we don't, we don't, make fun of them or tease them or uh, dismiss them. They're all the more lovable because of how precious they are and their limits. Mm -hmm. And so we start where we are and we're all the more precious in their limits. 
in the eyes of this love that's giving itself to us unexplainably, this infinite love, and meeting us in and at the familiarity of meeting us where we are and touching us like that. Beautiful. Couplet three reads, Lady love, you struggled many a year before you forced the exalted trinity to pour itself utterly into the humble, virginal womb of Mary, mistress and queen that was to your honour and benefit. And I, I was thinking a couple of things about this one. One was um, I can imagine, you know, you, you're reading the scriptures and thinking, oh, my gosh, it takes so long to get to Jesus. <laughs> we have to go through all this. All this uh, when, yeah, so I was, I was laughing at that a little bit. Yes. Um, you know, by the way, I, I said this turn the talk, is a, bring it up again as we talk like this now, <clears throat> is that what I'm doing here in my reflections this love language is so evocative. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm sharing what comes to me. Yeah. And having s sat with it and listened to it and so on. So as the listeners listen to her and listen to what it means to me, it invites them to stop and get echoes of what it means to them. Because mm -hmm. that's where it's touching them like this. So at one level, to me, what this is, many a year is, is, sacred, is uh, sacred history running through the scriptures through the Torah and the prophets and the, the Exodus and all of it. It's an unfolding, coming to the fullness of time. So it's that. But also, many a year is how long it takes us to finally believe that this love pertains to us. Seriously. You know, seriously. And little by little, we get little droplets of it. We get little traces of it. So that's why I say, how has it come to pass that you come to be the person who's even, being, who's even capable of being touched or moved by such things? How has it come to pass? And you look back at your life, it's been a long, circuitous journey, a lot of cul-de-sacs in it. But each one, infinite love was meeting you there in the cul-de-sac. Love was meeting you in the stumbling places. But it, over time, it ripens to the point where when you hear it, it strikes a chord mm -hmm. in your heart. And... But I, so I say with grace, in an open-ended, open freewheeling way, everything's right on schedule. Yeah. It's like this. But likewise, we don't know a year or 10 years from now how much even richer it will be because mm -hmm. we're, we're in the arc of an unfolding process. And I think there's a foreshadowing of death, of uh, passing through the gate of death into God, which is infinitely beyond all of this. So uh, this is dress rehearsals for... Uh, this infinite love being poured out and taking us to itself unexplainably forever. But it's starting now in the intimate sincerity of our hearts. Yeah. It's interesting that she says, Lady Love, you struggled many a year. So the, the struggle was on God's side. <laughs> yeah, it isn't that she does that. That kind of graced anthropomorphic thing as if, like God's going, oh my God, how can I put up with these people? <laughs> like, oh, come on, come on, you know, let's, uh, I can't, you know, I ha have to, I have to do this, I have to, which is the whole of Torah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the call of Abraham, it's the whole thing, and for us it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus comes. So that in Jesus, and all is God's response to us in our brokenness is to become identified with us as precious in our brokenness. And uh, so we're met and loved and seen in our brokenness and the love that sees through the brokenness into the godly preciousness of ourself in the brokenness. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why this grace then is this experiential salvation. That instead of the idolatry of our internalized faults and failings as having the authority to name who we are, we see that only this love that loves us so in our failings has the authority to name who we are. And that's really discipleship. These are the mystical reverberations of this discipleship, this love. That when love touches suffering, the suffering turns the love into mercy. Do you think uh, the way this, these couplets are written, this one's coming third before she's really getting into anything about herself, that she names this part of Jesus coming into the world? It was obviously a very important part of her belief system and of her understanding of love and God. That's a good point. Um, this is my sense of this. Is it's this is how this is unfolding in her heart, how this is unfolding in your heart, unfolding. But here's the thing. We realize that this is what is unfolding in the hearts of men and women all over the world who have ever lived. We're in this together. And so when we read the stories of scripture and we read the, the stories and the unfolding of things, it's an unfolding of the interconnectedness. Of, of this law. That's why when you read the stories of Scripture or the Psalms, they're really lessons the person is sharing they learn from God. But when we read it and take it to heart, we're learning what the person learned from God. It's interpersonal and very societal in, in that way. But it's all of society uh, distilled into us as a portal that opens out upon all of society. Jeez, this is our heart, each one of us. Each one of us is worth the sum total of the whole world and everything in it, and every person. Every person is worth all that God is worth in our eternal nothingness without God. And so each one of us is our own unique relation to this love shared by everyone. We're all woven together in our great humanity. It's interesting, too, that she mentions the Trinity because Trinity is not explicitly mentioned in Scripture, but I guess in the Catholic tradition she would have been brought into that idea. Very much so. By this time, it was just so established mm. because the Trinity, both in the Roman Church and in the Eastern Church, worked on in the early centuries of the Church, St. Augustine and others um, working on the so By that time, it was part of the landscape of the Christian language of God, the Christian understanding of God, and she was very much steeped, very much steeped in that. Couplet four. Lady Love, you have now come here to me and have taken from me everything I have ever gained on earth. Mistress and Queen, you have made a happy exchange. And you talked about uh, that we're made for more than anything we can attain here on earth. Yes, and I was just thinking about it. I thought, too, I'd like to add this insight in this. Is, uh, first of all, the sense, again, how has, how has this love taken it, taken everything? Mm-hmm is that what you've done, love, in giving me the taste of yourself and your oneness with me, you've taken from me the ability to even begin to pretend that some total of all of the things will ever be enough for me. And that's how you've taken them from me. And then when he says, you made a happy exchange, what, what I find intriguing about that is, he doesn't say, keep working on it, you'll get there. <laughs> but you've made it as if it's already settled. Yeah. See, it's, you see, you've made a happy exchange. So there's part of her that's in the process of leaning into it. Mm -hmm. But there's also a part of her in which the deep yes has already been given. Mm -hmm. See, it's already settled. And again, that's where the deep yes in us 
uh, touches um, the ground of our very being, the dowry of our being. Mm-hmm. See, this is already settled. This this exchange is already there. There's a potentiality to be actualized. We are created by God as a, as a capacity for God in our nothingness without God, and therefore. The exchange has already been made by God as the very reality of who we are. But then we're to actualize that exchange has been made by recognizing, surrendering to it, choosing it, yielding to it, which is the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And and that can bring about it. Can, the happy exchange in our experience could be this inner peace we can sometimes touch in on that, that uh, stands outside of circumstance, that Exactly. I mean, way back when we were looking at St. John of the Cross, he talks about substantial union and effective union. He says substantial union is God's oneness with everything that is the very reality. So if God would withdraw it, everything would disappear. That's substantial. He said effective union is love. It's the extent to which we realize God's oneness with us and love and say yes to it, which isn't always there at all. Mm-hmm. So a mysticism, one way of looking at mysticism, an effective union, it's in our experience where we realize a substantial union. We realize uh, unexplainably God's generosity being poured out as the reality of ourselves, as a fectus in the heart. You know what I mean? It's like, so anyway, there's... Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. Explore art as a spiritual practice in the next issue of Wanting, the biannual journal from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wanting, Art and Spirituality features images and reflections from leading actors and musicians, including Scott Avitt, Josh Radner, Lourdes Bernard, and more. Get your copy today at cac.org slash wanningart. That's cac.org slash O-N-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. Have you taken an online course with the Center for Action and Contemplation? Explore the intersection of ancient wisdom and Jesus' teachings in The Divine Exchange, an online course featuring Cynthia Bourgeau. Fully embrace divine interaction each day, starting June 16th. Register today at cac.org slash online dash ed. That's cac.org slash O-N-L-I-N-E dash E-D. Couplet five. Lady love, you have taken from me my childhood. Mistress and queen, in its place I have given you the heavenly freedom. And so, yeah, this idea of a heavenly freedom that, that comes from handing over our childhood. Again, what I, what I see in it is, uh, this is a big part of psychotherapy too. Uh, we all bring with us the story of what we've learned in our childhood. Mm. We've internalized experiences and it's, it's given us a, a kind of an internalized sense of identity based on our history, both, both a painful and joyful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to detriment and gifts and so on, but it's it's this historical unfolding of ourselves. And so he's, what she's saying here is, you've taken all that away as being an adequate way to understand who I am in your love. See, and in that sense, you've taken it away. And uh, I think that's the gift of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but also, in it, but, but once we see, once we with God's grace see who we are in love, we can look back to see how God's grace was at work in the unfolding of our story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it came to pass. You know, it came to pass. And we can see the providential unfolding of our developmental journey to where we are today with these things. Couplet six, Lady Love, you have taken from me all of my youth. Mistress and queen, in its place I have given you many a holy virtue. And I wondered if you could talk about uh, can we access these virtues? How, how might we find these virtues or these virtues in ourselves? Yes, it would be good to clarify that. So the virtues, the Latin for virtues is strength. So the strength to become. So, for example, in Catholic thought, the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, are empowered. It's a virtue to become with the grace of God and to a oneness with, with God infinitely beyond what we can achieve of ourselves the theological virtues, the divinizing, transformative virtues. So what she's assuming is that. Mm -hmm. But she's also saying, well, God told her right at the very beginning, for I am powerless to give myself to you. So God's paradoxical strength is freely choosing to be powerless, to completely give all that God is to us as God's beloved. That's the paradoxical virtus. Of God, And then likewise, for us, the reciprocity of that is our strength is being rendered powerless and choosing to be powerless, mm. to surrender ourselves completely to this love that's powerless to give itself to us. And the union takes place there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the ultimate holy virtue is, is this mutual surrender. And it's a mutual surrender, that's right, which empowers us to live out of that surrender. Mm -hmm. But everything that we do, we, we body it forth and bear witness to it, like she did in the writing of this book. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, it asks something out of us, you know, to live in fidelity to it and share it. So. It's feeling um, there's a lot of resonance with what we learned in Eckhart about this sense of detachment cause, because the holy virtue comes in after you've taken my childhood, you've taken my youth, like all the, all the ways we've kind of grown up into a personality, into an identity, and um, and the holy virtue arises by handing that over. Yes, exactly. This, this would be one way where they touch each other. Also, the Gospels at the heart of this, too, is that one, one way of saying it, uh, we said before in previous sessions, is that um, in these spiritual matters, the deep issue really isn't who my father thought I was or my mother thought I was or my brothers or sisters thought I was, who my boyfriends and lovers or husband or wife, my pastor, my boss. My, that's, that's really not the issue. Right, likewise, the issue isn't who I think I am. How can I join God, who God eternally knows me to be, hidden with Christ and God forever before the origins of the universe? And what we catch ourselves doing is taking an internalized belief about ourselves and believing it has authority to name who we are. Either in terms where you say, I'm proud of myself, or I'm ashamed of myself, or I'm worried about myself. Mm -hmm. It isn't that we don't need to deal at that level, because we do. But it's where they take on a kind of a opaque or kind of final place. Yeah. And we can't see this light that transcends all that, shines through all of that. And it's taking us to itself beyond all of that, which is this love, which requires the surrender to that. 
because in the surrender, see, as long as I can still be trying to navigate my way through, I kind of in control in a way. Yeah. You, you, making the best of the situation. But in being infinitely loved by infinite love, there's no control. Yeah. And so we're surrendering ourselves over to this love that's unexplainably takes us to itself on its terms and no longer even lets us live on our terms. And its terms are infinite generosity of love. And that's, you know, praise the Lord. And and, right. and that's that's our holy virtue. So it's, it's really, it, it's it, nothing it we can enact. It's kind of a, just a this mutual love relationship that we can be kind of yeah. taken into and surrender to. Yeah. And it's true that we're always responding to a love that's already infinitely there. Mm-hmm. But we're not measured by the degree which we're able to respond to mm-hmm. it. We're, we're measured by the love that loves us so and our inabilities to respond mm-hmm. to it. See? And there's another tripping point, not to be disheartened. I can't get past this. I can't get past yeah. And it isn't about getting past anything. You see, it's already, you've already been overtaken and being drawn into this love that's infinitely giving itself to you in the midst of the very things you can't get beyond. Mm. And that, that and that's the gift of tears. I mean, I think that's the piece that surpasses understanding. Mm. Couplet seven. Lady love, you have taken from me possessions, friends, and relatives. Come now, mistress and queen. That is a petty complaint. I love that language. Come now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get over it. Get over it. Lighten up. It's like, I get it, of course, of course, of course. But it's, it's petty because when you look at the sum total of all that I've taken as being enough to consummate your heart's desire, compared to me, this infinite love that alone can consummate your heart's desire, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, and you're complaining. <laughs> but see, but this is where there's, you're, you're growing into this, that you're complaining because you're just a human being. Mm. And it was the familiarity of God. It's almost like back and forth with each other. Oh, come on now. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's, that's a funny complaint. And she kind of smiles, I guess, and looks back like, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. When it's everything, my possessions, yeah. my friends, my relatives. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, because you know why? Because they're all ephemeral mm. because of death. Mm-hmm. And the self that's constituted of them is itself ephemeral. Yeah. But uh, everything's passing away except this love that never passes away, this utterly permeating everything that's passing away. And all this is about that kind Back of... Back and forward into, into that. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, yeah. Couplet eight. Lady love, you have taken from me worldly honour and all earthly riches. Mistress and queen, I shall make that up to you in one hour with the Holy Spirit on earth, just as you wish it. I wondered if this was pointing to what the mystics say about not having to wait until we're dead to experience this oneness with God. Yes, here's how I see it, too, is that uh, we can be graced with a moment of boundedless oneness that even as fleeting as it might have been, we sense that we were fleetingly realizing this eternal oneness with us, it never ends. And therefore, having tasted it, just one taste, and if I never tasted it again, the one taste is so overwhelmingly uh, divine in all directions. I live by the light that shines out from that taste. See? And uh, I can live by that. And But I think what often happens 
and that we can argue in a taste like that. And it, it isn't that we might not just be given one taste. And some people don't get that taste. They get mediations of taste through love and grace and through holiness and so on. But you, you see, if it comes once, it doesn't come just once. But um, it's in God's hands. Because the issue is, and this is what Eckhart was careful about too with all of this, when the touch comes, we can get attached to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize that when the touch was there, like God in all directions, we don't realize that in the moments where we sense that God's missing, we don't realize that God's the infinity of the experience that God is missing. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see that they're equal. Uh -huh. It's so hard for us to see that. Yeah. And, and so with Eckhart's knowledge, you need to be very careful because imagine we're trying to attain a certain kind of knowledge we can have yeah. rather than a knowledge that undoes a having knowledge into this transconceptual uh, knowing of the Godhead. But likewise, this is a, a love in which we have to be careful to, to be detached from the moments that were flooded with this love because it's a love that may momentarily flood up into our senses, into our emotions. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a love that permeates all the moments that we're not aware of it at all. And little by little, we can learn to know that's true. Mm -hmm. I don't feel it, but I don't need to, because I know it never leaves me, and I live by it. And Mechtil died not feeling it. She did. Yeah, we're going to, in the last talk I'm going to give, it's very powerful, because at the end of her life where she was blind, she couldn't feed herself, clothe herself, and all sense of God went away, and she was at peace. And I want to talk about that. It's analogous to the dark night of the soul and John. It's being deeply at peace mm -hmm. with it. And it's just because uh, it has a lot of lessons for us. Mm -hmm. And it goes to what you were just saying about, because she's obviously radically experiencing this love uh, for long periods of time. And, and even someone yes. like that, it can fall away. So not being attached to it in the, in the yeah. ways you... And I think, I think there's another thing in this too for her all this always, is that when we're bereft of any sense of God, just like lost moments like that, we realize we're not alone, that our aloneness is one with all the people throughout the world who are bereft, that our suffering doesn't belong to us. Our, our suffering weaves us into and unites us with the suffering so that even though we can't feel it at all, to know that we can hold that place because we've been graced by knowing for, that even though we can't feel it at all, we know in our heart that it's true. They don't feel it at all and they don't yet know that it's true. Likewise, the dark night of faith, you can even take away the ability to know that it's true. God can take that away. This total, complete dependence on, on God alone. You know. Couplet nine. Lady love, you have brought me to such a pass that my body is racked by strange weakness. Mistress and queen, in exchange, I have given you much sublime knowledge. I love this um, couplet because it's rare these days in the Christian church that the body is addressed and supported in teaching in, in these kind of ways. So you talked about this idea of a deep-bodied understanding of uh, the truth of my body. And, um, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a, in a way that's true. Uh, there tends to be, in the Christian tradition, the sense of mind or God or awareness. This is compared to example to Hinduism with yoga, for example, and the asanas, the postures and the breath. But also what's interesting about these mystics, 
in the cloud of unknowing in all of them. It, that the, this kind of deep surrendered quiet in God's presence is very bodily. And when we sit this way, we're not thinking anything. You know, we're like surrendered over. And so in the body then, where I say that our our hands are at rest. In meditation. In meditation, because this is this is Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That is this, this isn't something we can reach or make happen or fabricate or get like this. And so we keep surrendering ourselves over to the Sabbath. But in the Sabbath, we realize that our body embodies the love of God mm. for us as the beloved. It's, it's, not, it's not theoretical or abstract that our body is the embodiment of this love taking us to itself. The incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's our flesh and your flesh. I love that example of uh, that you gave in meditation practice, this idea of um, putting our body at rest and allowing God to kind of infuse us yeah. With, yeah. with this. Yeah. But also you've talked about uh, in, in a state of service and activity that we can also feel that sense in our bodies of being driven by something not you know, bigger than ourselves beyond what we thought we were capable of. Yes, I, I think really, one, it can, it can happen to us, it's deep bodily stillness. Mm-hmm. It can, it, it, sometimes it washes over us. But sometimes, too, we can choose to, um, to be faithful to the quiet time. But in the quiet time, realize what's so amazing is that it becomes non-distinguished from the intimacy of our body, that somehow our, our body is woven into and is embodying this very love beyond our body, like a kind of a quiet amazement. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's the awareness of the breath, the awareness of our heart beating, the awareness of, uh, you know, of, of the body, of the beloved, the body of the beloved. And, uh, but then what also happens then, when we serve, we, we, we uh, sometimes I used to put it this way, about uh, follow me, Jesus says, we can't have our valet carry the cross up the hill for us <laughs> from a distance. It, that any ministry uh, takes a piece out of us. Mm. It, it, the, the love's labor comes out without a price. Mm. And it, it, we invest ourselves. This is why interesting, ora et labora, prayer and work. And the interesting thing about labora, about work, is at the end of the workday you're tired and very often you didn't quite get it finished as neatly as you hoped. So in work you're never you're always engaged with reality that doesn't let you live on your own terms. Mm. And knowing that labor is not some rude interruption to your agenda to become a mystic. See, knowing that in the labor itself, whether the, the, the physical service or teach, I mean, whatever the labor is, cooking a meal, that somehow God's the infinity of that labor. Mm. God's the infinity of that invest. That when we invest ourselves, we meet God investing in us in the concreteness of the labor at hand. Mm. It, can, it can have that quality to it. Amazing. So the the strange weakness that Mechtil describes is really the um, the experience of of God's strength or God's love, kind of through the body. Um, it is enlivening it, the it, body. Later, we might be looking at Simone Vi, a great mystic. And um, she talked, did, identified a lot with the poor, the working class, like long as she went and lived, worked in the factories. But I also think sometimes when we put in a full day, mm-hmm. and maybe a lot of good things happen, you know, at the end of the day, we lay down and thank God. <laughs> you know, 
I'm finished. But we, we spent ourselves. Yeah. And that's not to say we don't need to modulate that because we can have burnout and we need to take care of ourselves. But it's not as if it's some neat thing at a distance, but it's always an investing, an investing of ourselves in this. And the transformation occurs in that investment, that self-investment, which is, always has a physiological or bodily dimension to it. Like her writing this yes, book, yeah. Labora. Yeah. See, Labora is a labor, sweet labor, see, of concretized love, which she wrote her whole life. She just a, it's a kind of amazing. It's really amazing. It reminds me of Teresa of Avila, who said, "I'm writing this under obedience." <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And Julian too. Look for she had these experiences, but in the long version of Revelation Divine Love, keep refining it out in solitude as a labora. You know, love's like distilling it out. Yeah. It's the integrity of the work. You know. Couplet 10. Lady love, you have devoured my flesh and my blood. Mistress and queen, you have thereby been purified and drawn into God. This is very radical language, but devouring my flesh and my blood. And uh, I wondered if you would comment on that. Yes, I would say this. that Let's say... My flesh and my blood is the concreteness of my survival instinct. Mm. You know, it's, it's the concreteness of any pain that I'm carrying in my body. You know, it's the concreteness of the limitations of my energy. It's, it's, it, it embodies also concerns I may have about my health and all this. And I, I show this to, you know, at 80 years old, my diminishment kind of like melting away. And my body, like your body, it, you know, it starts disappearing, see? But then you sense that really that disappearance isn't a loss, that the disappearance of the body is the body being ravaged by this love that never dies. Mm. And so you're, it's like that, that engagement. Yeah. This also happens with hospice work or touching suffering. Yeah. Or spiritual direction too can be like this. There's, there's a certain immediacy about mm -hmm. it. And we have to be bodily present to and one with the one that we're with, one with us. Mm -hmm. And to me, it has those connotations to it. I, I think you also said that, you know, this helps us see that even death is trustworthy. And I felt that in reading that, like if if uh, my my flesh and blood will be devoured by God in my final moments that, you know, if that's if that's what's happening to me in my death, then it's then it's trustworthy. Yes, that when we die, if we live this way by love, which means we've already died interiorly of everything but love. So when biological, physical death happens, um, this physical death, we just know in our heart we're not annihilated but consummated. That if God's the God's the Lord of life, God's Lord of death, or God's the infinity of life, God's the infinity of death. Because death is the gate of heaven. That's why I say the downside about heaven is only the dead need apply. <laughs> but, but here you can be in heaven before you die, if you die of love. Mm -hmm. So when the hour of death comes, there's, there's a holiness about it. You know, there's a kind of a deep reverential censure in the presence of something. And then this is the stages of dying too, like coming to acceptance. Really, is that coming to it's freedom from the tyranny of death in the midst of death, and so by learning to live this way, is freedom from the tyranny of suffering in the midst of our suffering, because the suffering is infused with this love that sustains us in our suffering. Mm. 
like the, the constancy of love permeating our wavering ways. Couplet 11, Lady love you are a robber, for this as well shall you make reparation. Mistress and queen then take me. And I think this aspect is challenging. This is the one (laughs) that's always challenging for me, that that we can't do this through our own ego or will, that, you know, it's it's on God's terms and God has to come to us. Um, So this this balance of um, working to be ready but knowing that it's on God's terms. Yes, this is a deep thing really, I think is that we're given this taste of oneness. Then we're given the gift of longing to abide in it. But because the taste of the oneness of love is infinite, and we long to abide in it, because having tasted the richness, our life without it will be forever incomplete. But we're powerless to actualize that. And, And therefore God then So God stole from us our ability to live on our own terms. So only by complete dependence on God. This is why when we were looking at Meister Eckhart, he says we're touched by, he said we must yearn and sigh for it. Mm. He said it steals the soul from herself, that it steals from the soul the ability to be herself by her own efforts without this love. And so this is what you see, this, this, uh, this sighing and moaning. So you're a robber because you've, you've taken from me my agenda of actualizing the union and anything I'm even capable of doing. You took it all away from me because mm-hmm. I'm finite. I realized as I was listening to the talk earlier that I was giving, I said, this is where uh, Rumi oh, yeah. see, says, there's a field out beyond the boundaries of right and wrong. I'll take you there. See? And uh, instead of Rumi, I, I said the wrong message. You said Roka. I said Roka. Mm-hmm. Roka didn't say anything. <laughs> Roka said, they all say Something, this. And he, yeah, in effect, in he way. did say yeah. it. In a lot of ways, actually, he did, actually. But that direct quote, because all the mystics say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I have found myself in a place that I couldn't have found it if I tried. Mm. Because it came to me and found me and took me here unexplainably like this. See? And, now, and so God says, now that you're unencumbered from anything you're even capable of, then now the consummations at hand take me, see? Because as long as you were encumbered by all that, you couldn't take me because your heart was divided. But now that I took all that away from you, even I even took away from you, you still feeling you needed to be able to pull that off and do it because mm-hmm. I took it away from you and your inability to take it away. And you saw that too was irrelevant. See? And now that it's been achieved in your heart, see, take me, and because I've already taken you to myself. And that's the union. It's a lovely passage. It's a very, yeah. Beautiful. This is really reminding me now as we're coming to the final couplet of Teresa of Avila's journey through the seven mansions. It's almost like through 12 mansions to get to this final couplet. Lady love, now you have recompensed me a hundredfold on earth. Mistress and queen, in addition, you may demand God and all his kingdom. It's like they've made it to that that, uh, oneness, that sense of... That's really true. By the way, when you look at it this way, when you look at the, this is mystical discernment. Each of these mystic teachers have been transformed like this. Mm-hmm. And many people who are transformed like this are anonymous. It doesn't draw attention to itself. Mm-hmm. But some people are called to be mystic teachers. And so what they do is they're trying to approach us 
to help us discern that we're being invited to this. Like what are the signs of it? How do we respond to it? And what are the different phases that it can go through? And so each mystic has his or her own way of, uh, of incrementally de devising that. But they're all provisional ways of doing it. So each, when we look at these mystics, we can see that with each one. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the night of the senses and the night of the spirit, the active night and the passive night, um, uh, the, the seven mansions, uh, uh, Guigo, Lexio Divina, meditation, prayer, kind of, they all have these. So they're all provisional approximations of a way that allows us to talk about these unfoldings. Yeah. Like this. And so for her, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's laid out this way. But then in the, there's other couplets like this through the whole book, mm -hmm. and each couplet has different numbers to it. Yeah. So, so we can't get fundamentalistic about it and count them. No. It's just because there's only one thing always being talked about. But then each, each text is endlessly varied revelations of, the, of love's nature. So the more you read her, the metaphorical richness of love gets richer and richer as we see that she's just, and if she, she could live longer, she might have written 10 more books. Yes. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> it's like the scripture says, the Bible says, God, I honestly believe that all the books in the whole world can contain everything that Jesus said. Mm. See? Yeah. It's like that. It's like you can't get it into the covers of a book. <laughs> and you it's amazing close. Jesus never wrote a book. <laughs> he never did. He never wrote it down because I guess that would no. be containing it. Yes, that's a good way to say it. He never, he, street, he didn't write it down. And the Gospels weren't written to some years after his death, really. But I think when we look at the Gospels this way, they wrote in such a way that it overflows the pages of the Gospel. Mm -hmm. It was very clear. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus overflowed their life. Yes. And it's the living Jesus that shines through the pages. And through and these pages, Jesus. too, of Mechtilde. And through these, yeah. through these the saints and sages down through the mm -hmm. ages. That God gives people the, the gift of putting words to unexplainable things. And it's always overflowing. That's why you go crazy trying to explain her or grasp her. Yeah. Because the very... You that tries to grasp what she's saying is you that is transcended in realizing what she's talking about. That there's your, it's like love. The deeper it goes, you're less and less inclined to imagine you could say anything at all that could begin to do justice to what love is. That doesn't mean you can't stammer it out, the voice of the poet, the voice of the lover, but it just it overflows the banks of the explainable. Wonderful. And this last point, yeah, this last yeah. point then, you can demand of God in all of his kingdom. And it's because now that you're transformed by God's love into love, you can ask whatever you want and God will give it because you'll no longer ask anything but love. Mm. That's why you can ask anything you want. Because uh, you'll only ask, only ask love. Yeah. Beautiful. That's that, that sense of oneness and union. So that, that's, it that's non-distinct. The, the, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not distinct. That's yeah. right. And, and we're, as we listen to this, those who are graced by following this, you and I and all those of us who are with us, we can realize we're on the way towards it. Mm. You know, we can see this arc of deepening sincerity, like a, a work in progress, being transformed by love into love. And that's uh, the gift of being touched by the mystics. Yeah. And the gift of your teaching too, Jim. Yeah, exactly. It touched me, did a number on me. And so really, I think any teacher, I'm, I'm doing nothing more than passing on what was passed on to me. 
because everything we have, we've been given to give it. And it's in passing it on that it enriches itself in the giving of it. Well, thank you for today. And thank you, Corey, in the background, always supporting us. And um, I guess, Jim, if there's any Broadway producers that want us to come and... <laughs> <laughs> They'll be knocking at our door. Contact Corey. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually fun reading that with you, although I felt very unqualified to be either God or the pure soul of Mechtild. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a movie. I had this fantasy that Brad Pitt would play me <laughs> teaching the mystics. That's my wild fantasy. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. It's probably a fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, I'll play me with, there with, you go. with Brad Pitt. <laughs> Th there you go. Another fantasy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.